Hello and welcome back to the User Flows Podcast. My name is Thomas Morell, and this is a show where we talk about UX design and careers. I interview designers about their journey into the field and break down how they've been successful in their roles so we can all learn together. Today I'm joined by Shallon Oswald. Shallon is a UX design instructor at General Assembly, which a lot of my previous guests were once students at GA, so I'm very excited for this conversation. But before we get into this conversation, I wanted to give a few updates on the show. So as I've mentioned in past episodes, uh, I recently moved my family from New Jersey down to Savannah, Georgia, and it's been quite a process getting settled down here and it's been a lot of fun, a big adventure. Uh, we recently purchased a new home, and so we spent the last uh, couple months moving in, getting used to things, um, getting acquainted and settled. And so I'm going to be wrapping up this season very shortly. This is probably going to be the final interview uh, podcast that I do, but I will have a few others coming. Um, I'm going to put out a recent talk I did with students at Keene University and also some Q&A sessions that I've done with designers over the past year or so. And also one final episode, which is going to be focused on all of the lessons I've learned in the first 21 episodes in the first season of User Flows podcast. And really looking forward to sharing those with you. And then I'm probably going to take off the month of December and January to kind of regroup um, and reset myself and get all set up for season two. And so what I'm planning on doing is focusing season two on four categories. Design education. So talking to the people who are shaping the future of designers and design education. Uh, the designer bookshelf, where I'm going to do uh, interview writers and designers and authors who are writing about design that they've written that I love and hopefully dive a little deeper into each one. Design entrepreneurship, where I'm going to talk to designers who have left the corporate field to start their own products or services. Really excited for that. And last but not least, design leadership, where I'm going to talk about those who are shaping leadership in the design field. And I can't wait to share all this with you in season two. If you know of anybody who fits those categories, uh, please send me their name. You can reach me at thomasmorell.com. Uh, you will see show notes for all the shows that I do for the podcast there, some blog posts, and also you can contact me through there. And without further ado, here is the episode with Shallon. Well, if you could, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, more than we might learn from your LinkedIn profile? Oh, sure. Um... My name is Shallon Oswald. Um, I use any pronouns that you'd like to use with me. So I, you know, I don't have a, a preference or anything that I really associate myself with. Um, and something that isn't really on my LinkedIn profiles, I love to do game jams and hackathons. Those are like some of my favorite things because you really learn different industries, but also how to communicate with different folks from those different industries. Um, it's a great way to network. So every year you go to playcrafting, uh, game Jam, it's the global game jam that happens in January. Usually it's hosted by Microsoft. And I just make games for a weekend. And I yeah. just have a fantastic time doing that. So that's what I do. I've been making websites since the grand old days of burned copies of Dreamweaver. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, having the navigation on the left side with little hover animations and your mouse, uh, you know, pointer having sparkles come after it. Um, but I more seriously got into it, um, you know, about eight years ago uh, when I actually took the general assembly class. So I'm not 
just an instructor, I am a former student of it as, as well. So I definitely leaned more into my experience so that I could, you know, understand where the students are coming from, but also prepare them for things that I maybe didn't feel super prepared for when I went into the workforce. Nice, nice. And I'll have to learn more about game jams because I'm not familiar with that term, but that sounds like a lot of fun. It's like a hackathon, <laughs> but you're making a game instead. So they'll okay. give you a theme. Um, and then you take that like one theme one year was you are the monster. And so you make a, a whole game, however you interpret that in a weekend. And it takes an extremely long time to make games. So making one in the weekend yeah. that someone, they go around afterwards and people play those games um, just to test them out and see if they're cool. Uh, and then you get rewards and you get, maybe you get to win something. I won something the other year um, for the storyline. So it just, just kind of have fun and just get to know people and you know flex that creative muscle in a different way that's super cool is this like a board game or is this like a video game like how does... video, you can make board games you can make video games i typically work on video games my partner is a unity game developer so uh we tend to work together uh on these games and i have another friend who comes in who's a developer and you know i'm happy to work with lots of different types of people you know I get to work on strange things. So did you know that paint 3D actually works pretty well? <laughs> because I didn't until the other year <laughs> when I had to make assets. <laughs> yeah. And you just go into Illustrator, you draw it up, you pull that into paint 3D, which is like, you know, MS Paint, what it is now. Yeah, yeah. And it makes it 3D and you're like, that's good enough. I'm moving on. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, super cool. Yeah. Right, lots to learn here. Yeah, and I remember those days of flash animations and uh, you mm -hmm. know making like your page fold over like it was a magazine. That oh was, my gosh! Yes. Yeah, yes, that yes. was that was my trademark. In my How many portfolio. fire yeah. gifts can you put on one page? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. So, how did you make the switch from kind of practitioner to teacher? Was that an easy switch? Was that a difficult kind of transition? Um, I think it, it was difficult just because it's different, but it wasn't impossible, obviously. Um, so I think what I had going for me was the fact that I'd taken the class before, so that I already knew what to expect, and I knew it worked, and I knew it didn't for me anyway, um, and I knew the layout of the land and how what, what it entailed and the type of people that I would be, be dealing with. I think that if you just go from practicing UX to teaching it without having taken one of the courses, you might be a little lost. And I did find that some of the people coming in later when they were teaching, they were like kind of shocked at what we were teaching or the way that things worked and weren't entirely convinced that, you know, people can learn in this way um, until they did it. And they're like, oh, it works. You know, like, it's like, just follow the process and it, and it works. And you're like, oh, okay. That's how it works. So um, you know, it came out of a need for communication, um, more communication skills. So prior to um, working at GA, it was working at a company called Blue Wolf that acquired by IBM. Mm -hmm. And it is an agency that works on implementing Salesforce um, solutions to all different kinds of companies. And Salesforce, highly technical, cloud information server. I'm not going to go into the crazy details of it, but Yep. I was typically, you know, a solo UX designer. I had to do all the designing and researching and all that stuff without anyone who knew what I did. My managers didn't know what I did. <laughs> Often the people I got put on teams that didn't know. And I, and I found myself educating a lot of people about what I do and what I don't do, specifically mm -hmm. coding, because I don't. 
I specifically do not do it because um, I just would rather spend my time doing the research than, you know, half-ass coding. Sorry if yep. you don't like the swearing on here. <laughs> All good. Um, All good. So basically, uh, I realized that the majority of the issue that came with any of the projects that I was on in this agency had to do with communication and not so much my communication, but with communication between different members of different teams having to create one big um, system, for instance. Um, And so what I found was if I could in in some way learn to communicate such nuanced ideas as, you know, user-centered thinking, um, you know, kind of having, having an open mindset because you need an open mindset to really gather data and not bias it. Um, I can, I can influence people to learn this and I can maybe also teach this to people, you know, that I'm working with, that I have to do work with so that they can really understand what I'm saying and make informed decisions based off of that. Because I'm not the type of person who just wants to tell you what to do and you don't have an opinion on it. I'm not typically the expert as UX designer. I'm not the expert on the system. I'm, you're the expert on the system. I'm just trying to help you communicate what you need from the system so that I can get the system to do what you need it to do for you to work properly. I am not, I'm not the expert. I'm just the expert at knowing what you need, not so much at what you're actually doing in your job. Um, And so in order to get people to communicate more with me, I realized I had to communicate in different ways with different people. And I thought, one, this way I can give back to, you know, to the school that gave me my career, Mm -hmm. um, but also, uh, you know, help designers who are newer come in with an accurate representation of what, what the scene looks like in New York right now. Um, while also empowering uh, people from marginalized communities, um, empowering um, people who identify, you know, as women in tech industry uh, or non-binary, people from LGBTQ community. So I really wanted to empower a lot of people um, to understand the power that you have as a UX designer, because not just understand it, but also respect the power. So a user experience designer has so much power because they hold the data of what the user needs. And that company needs that data to make decisions that they will use to make more money for their business. So you hold that in your hand. Mm -hmm. If you do things the right way, everyone's happy. But if you do things the wrong way, we're stuck with Twitter, for instance, (laughs) you know, things I don't know if you've read, um, but uh, Mike Montero has a great book called Ethics and Design, I believe it's called. Um, and uh, I think, is it called Ethics and Design? I'll have to look it up afterwards. Sure. Um, but it's a great book that basically says we need to be, we need to have more ethics in design and we need to think about the consequences of design that we, we have. When you're creating an internal product, you aren't messing with someone's ability to buy a pair of shoes. You're messing with someone's ability to do the job that they're getting paid to do. That is a big deal. Yeah. What happens if you make a system that doesn't make sense is someone will learn it. That's fine. But guess what? The company's going to go, well, you know, it's less likely that someone who's older would understand the system. So let's hire only younger people. Or they might go, oh, you probably need a college degree to understand this system. Let's only hire people with college degrees, regardless of what the job is. It really puts Thing puts a, a disadvantage on you know more marginalized communities of people to hold down jobs and technology is supposed to be there to help not to hurt so 
Yeah, right. that was a long-winded explanation, but it was kind of, you, know, you really have to learn to communicate, but also the students, I want them to understand that the power that they have can do good and bad, right? You, you right. have to make sure that you are understanding that. Yeah, no, I love that. And definitely you can see your passion um, comes yeah. through for the subject. So that's fantastic. Um, and I thought I was the only one who didn't like Twitter, but <laughs> that's besides <laughs> the point. I just, toxic. I've never been able to use it. Yeah. Uh, same I thing. use I like, it, but I'm like toxic. I, it's not good. Yeah. yeah. But no, communication is the theme that kind of constantly comes up. Um, mm -hmm. You know, today I interviewed somebody else, um, a recruiter. <laughs> about his experience and the need for transparency when kind of communicating with, you know, both the company looking to fill a role and the people looking to fill that role and how, if you're not transparent, everybody kind of ends up in a bad place. <laughs> you know, you end up right. with a job you didn't want at the price you didn't want and those things. And also I uh, talked with another uh, gentleman who kind of came from sales right? and he kind of feels like that was his kind of design superpower in a way, because it allows him to communicate with anyone and really mm -hmm. sell, you know, what he does and why it's important and, you know, kind of not get brushed mm -hmm. aside in a very large organization. So that's fantastic. I love that. No, I think that's really accurate. And I think sales, it was one of the bigger, um, the people who I targeted. So when I first worked at IBM slash Blue Wolf, they didn't really have a UX designer that was working on client stuff. And so I was like, why don't you? And they're like, we don't know how to sell it. So then I, of course, I have to interview everyone in the company. So basically as a UX designer, a lot of times you have to UX the process for other people too. That's why it's good to just really embrace user-centered design in all aspects, because you realize how helpful it is. If you can approach a problem from the perspective of the person you're trying to solve it with, you're more likely to get help with solving that problem than if you trying to make someone learn something they don't care to learn. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. What's that saying? Those convinced against their will are of the same opinion still. So oh, that's a, that's a good things. one. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a Dave Ramsey saying, but it's just, um, so can you tell us a bit about what the general assembly courses look like? Like, um, are they, you know, a year long course? Is it a six week course? Is it, uh, I don't, I don't know much about general assembly. Um, if you could break down kind of what a typical experience is like for a student. Um, just so you know, it was ruined by design. So I had to look it up. It was ruined by design by Mike Montero was the book that I was talking about. So okay. it's a really good book. Um, yeah. I, I advise people to actually give it a listen. Yeah. Um, and it argues that we should have uh, an ethics, um, something we sign full of ethics of designers in terms of what we design, Okay. Uh, which I agree with, you know, yeah. do no, do no harm. Right. Like yeah. that's basically I think that we should abide by that. But um, in regards to General Assembly, um, so the courses for, uh, for user experience design for full-time immersive were 10 weeks. And last year went to 12 weeks uh, that go coincide with the um, development immersive. And so it's 12 immersive weeks. And this is like, it's not a joke. Like a lot of people come in and go, well, I can just work a job and do this. If you're doing the full-time general assembly boot camp, it is a mm -hmm. true boot camp experience. Um, you will not hang out with your friends. <laughs> you will <laughs> not have a life. You will not have weekends. Um, and you'll be bombarding people with um, surveys and talking to people about things that maybe you wouldn't have talked to them about, or, yeah. you know, checking your network for people who are in certain industries. Um, and 
you know, asking a lot of questions. If you're not used to asking questions, it's, it's a fun way to learn because you got to ask a lot of questions um, through that whole time. And then also on top of that, learning to not take feedback as a negative, but take it as just information, right? If you, if you misunderstood something, that's okay, because now you understand it was misunderstood. That's more information for you. So changing your whole mindset about the way that you learn, changing your mindset about how things get designed, how you grab um, data, because it's very data and research focused, but also you have to learn how to design. So if you've not done either of those things and you're not super good with technology, it's still very possible. You just have to work a little bit harder. So it's just a matter of your willpower, uh, kind of. And if you have, you know, money saved up to not be working for the next couple of weeks, basically. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't realize it was like that. That's, that's, um, that's pretty eye-opening. How is it for you as a teacher? Like, are you kind of just with each cohort, you're just in the weeds for 12 weeks or is yeah, it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm in there with you. Um, so I, I'm actually on sabbatical right now. I'm taking a break right now. Um, okay. But definitely when I'm in there and teaching, it is very, I'm in there with, because I remember what it was like to be in there. Yeah. Um, and I know that this type of learning, quick learning, um, where it's very immersive is very personal. You would think it's not, but it's extremely personal because the way that you learn, you can't adjust it in the time that you need to, if you're taking college or whatever, like, oh, they teach this way. So let me adjust to it over time. No, you got to learn this way the entire time all out of nowhere. And so you're really dealing with a lot of deep seated insecurity about like, you know, education and about failure and about. Uh, the ability to learn, right? Because everyone, yeah. you know, learns in different ways. Like we, we absorb the information in the same way, but some people are more comfortable with such certain ways of learning and being taught. Um, and it, you know, one person can't encompass all of those things, right? I, I can't. So I'm a lot more straightforward. Um, yeah. But luckily, like I'll have partners, uh, co- co-teachers who are a little bit like less straightforward and they're a little bit nicer than I am. <laughs> Maybe I'm not a not nice person. I'm just very straightforward, yeah. right? Because I'm like, I got to get you the information right now. I don't want you to continue doing the thing that is going to make you upset when you realize it's incorrect, right? Because it's not, I'm not mad when something's wrong. I just point it out. But we're so used to society um, making it seem that wrong things are bad, right? We're thinking mm-hmm. failure is a bad word. And in this career, you can't think that way because what happens? Say you're going down a rabbit hole, you've been researching something for three months, and you realize at the end that you were researching the wrong thing. Do you continue down that or do you stop? You have to stop. (laughs) You have to pick it up and go, oh, well, I know I know what it's not and move on. You cannot continue. Like, you know, I always thought, think about this with when it comes to like goalies in hockey, you can tell Canadian I am. But <laughs> goal is, you know, nice. one goal goes through. And I, I remember asking, thinking like, how do they continue on? They get like, let a goal in. Aren't they just like beating themselves up after? And my, my friend was like, if they did, they wouldn't be able to concentrate on the next place. They just have yeah. to get over it. And I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And since then, I've been thinking about things that in that way, where it's just, okay, learn from it, move on. It's not something to overthink 
it's not something to beat yourself up about. And I think that's the biggest thing that ends up happening because of the way that the school system is set up now where most people just failure is bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's uh that's the perfect example. Um have two young kids, so trying to teach them that, you know, failing is the only way to learn is uh mm-hmm. is it's a difficult thing to learn. And I can imagine after a lifetime of kind of traditional schooling like going to something that says like, Hey, we're going to fail at something today, you know, <laughs> but we're yeah. going to learn. It's a tough kind of lesson to, to take in. For sure. And it's, and I have to say that too, for the people who, um, you know, who are listening to your podcast and if they're like, you know, adults, um, learning as an adult is much more difficult than it is learning as a kid. So you can't be hard on yourself for not grasping things immediately. Learning as an adult is basically repetition. You just have to repeat it. You just have to immerse yourself and repeat it. That's all you have to do. And honestly, focusing on the things that didn't work is not the way to do it. You just end up not being able to focus on the things that you can learn um, because we could just get so distracted by the negativity. So you really have to be easy on yourself, especially as an adult learner. Our brains don't work the same. They just (laughs) do not. And that's okay. Yep. You relate it so much. And that's the thing it, I think is fascinating about adult learners is they come in with so many of their own, their own history, their own education, their own experiences, their own biases, their own humor, their, their own everything. Um, and at the end of the day, they all learn it. And I, yeah. I just I find that so fascinating because, you know, it's just a matter of whether you think you can or not. That's it. It's not okay. even, you know, I've not run into anyone and I taught the class many, many times. I don't, I can't recall a single person who I thought couldn't do it. Yeah. And, you know, outright failed, you know, gotcha. there's nobody, yeah. there's nobody. Well, with that being said, what are some of the biggest obstacles you see a lot of people face? I think that getting over the failure part, I think yeah. that's the biggest thing that people have a problem with. They have a lot of people who come into the class have, I guess, what would be considered a type A personality. I would say that I would also have that, but I work really hard not to let that control um, how I look at things and what I do. Um, okay. And it's been only helping me in my career by just quieting that perfectionist mindset, basically, because life isn't perfect. It's just, it's not. So you're already starting off with a fallacy. Like you trying to create perfection is you not doing a job. It's just not, it's never going to happen. So just let it go. It's like the first time I, um, I teach people how to draw in the class a Mm -hmm. little bit, you know, you're basically just drawing boxes as the arts designer, right? Like it's not that complicated, but you know, so many people, they just want to, they just, they look at the paper and they're like, I'm going to be like Rembrandt or something. I don't know. And it comes out more like Picasso and, you know, and then you're like, they're like, oh, I'm so bad. I'm like, no, no, don't worry about it. But even oh, to yeah. that point, they, they have this like idea of what's in their head and they look at this perfect piece of paper and they're like, I have to continue the perfection. It's a clean piece of paper. I have to continue it. And so the first thing I have them do is like, hey, draw a little, draw a, a dot over here. Yeah. Make it a little bit messy or yeah, good job. Okay. It's not perfect anymore. Now you can draw what you want. Paper's not perfect anymore. Just draw what you want. You know, it's, it's just so much easier to think about it that way because you're not trying to do something that's not possible. You're just trying to express yourself. The sketching yeah. part in UX design is just communication. Like it, it's literally just communication. And that's what I teach is like the number one soft skill, which is also usually an issue in the class too, where yeah. 
you know, people communicate in different ways. They have different expectations from themselves and from their classmates. And it's kind of like any other job. You have to go in and understand that other people are going to have different areas of focus, different experiences, different ways that they solve problems and different, you know, ways that they express their passion in the work that they do. Uh, And you just have to work with it. You're not going to go in there and everyone's going to be the same personality. That's not how it works. People go in, they come in as bartenders. They come in as uh, wine sommeliers. They come in as graphic designers, neuroscientists. We have architects, like we have psychologists, all types of folks come and take the class. Um, And it really, you, it's just a matter of communicating and really understanding your own perspective because that's where the magic comes in. When you have a different perspective, when you have different knowledge, you can apply that to the different areas of work. You can apply that to your own work. You don't forget everything when you come and take the class. You use what you know in the class to help you move forward. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, That's perfect. And I I had another conversation today and it was the same thing. It was kind of talking about career switchers, like you know, that experience that you have from another field, it's not unrelated to this. And it's actually really good real world experience because taking that and, you know, connecting that experience with other people who have totally different backgrounds is kind of what a typical job is like in a way, like you kind of get put into a group with a number of other people who you all have different strengths, different weaknesses, different ways Mm -hmm. of communicating and working together and being able to find a way to communicate and get something done is a is a challenge (laughs) yeah definitely is a challenge and I I think I think the first thing you start off with is go okay what was my what's my background what am I interested in and how can I use what I've done in my life to make me stand out or help me just understand this more and you know say the bar the people who are bartenders um, or service people in in the class well they have to talk to people all the time and they talk to people at sometimes they're most vulnerable (laughs) all the time yeah. and they have to have those conversations. So those, co- those people are, go- are going to be good with user interviews. They're going to be good with just listening, yeah. you know, that's it. They're just going to listen and not impart themselves on other people. They're just going to listen because, you know, when you're talking to someone drunk, you're not trying to have a real conversation with them. You're just letting them yeah. talk to you and just, all right, you deal with the same way. So now yeah, as a bartender, yeah. you already have skills as UX designer, right? You yeah. already have skills. And you just got to work on the other parts, right? You come in as a graphic designer, cool. You understand color theory. You understand, you know, typography. You understand how design impacts the way people um, see a product or see an interaction. That's excellent. Focus on research. You must focus on research. If you want to be a UX designer, now you got to figure out how to talk to people. <laughs> you have to figure yeah. out how to get the information that you need to make that beautiful experience. You need to base it off of data and not just whim now mm-hmm. you have to base it off of data so just taking the things that you know and applying it to ux it, it's why ux design and the community is so diverse and it could be a lot even more diverse like i want lots of different people as ux designers and even just mm-hmm. user-centered designers within their own roles you can be a user-centered designer who does marketing right yep. like you could do anything as long as you think about it from the perspective of the user yeah. And this might be kind of a layup question, but who's like the right person for the general assembly course? Um, that's a, that one's a hard one to say, just because I don't want to discourage anyone from going. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important 
that, you know, everyone gets into, uh, you know, what they feel like they want to do moving forward. And, and if they want to get into user experience design, that's great. I would only, I wouldn't say that there are people who should take it. I'm, there's some people who might not learn the best in a stress, a stress situation. So when you're, when you're in the boot camp, things are quick. Like you're doing your first assignment within a week right? Yeah. Alone. And you are learning a lot, right? You are learning about information architecture. You're le- learning about design thinking. You're learning about design itself. You're learning about interviewing people, like just even talking to people, but asking the right questions. So you're not leading them, which is a huge yeah. thing, right? You're learning so much stuff. And that can be really, really stressful to, to people. Like it's stressful to anyone, even if you're ready for it. Um, so I would say that if you're the type of person who needs to take time to think about things um, as like between doing things and you're not that like you just have a different pace mm-hmm. that you would prefer that then don't, don't I, I yeah. would say don't don't come to class. There's definitely a lot of um, resources online for you um, that you could take. There's also the part time class. That's a lot like, you know, it, it's got a pace that's more absorbable to people who are like working at the time. Yep. Right. Or, you know, they keep their jobs and they do this after and it lasts around t- 12 weeks as well. So there's a part time class that people take. Yep. Um, I would say the only thing is if, if stress doesn't allow you to actually learn, then don't take it. But if you're the type of person who feels that you can kind of overcome that stress and you don't mind hyper-focusing on one thing for 12 weeks, mm-hmm. then by all means, give it a try. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. No, I can definitely see the course that I mentor is almost, it's like nine to 11 months. So it's much mm-hmm. slower paced. Right. I could definitely see some of my students having a really hard time with like that fast paced, like do it now kind of setup. Yeah. And so, um, but I could definitely see some of my students would have fit right into that <laughs> and it yeah. might've been like a quicker route for them to get where they needed to go. So that's really interesting. Yeah. I think that there's, I think that there's a lot of people, um, who don't realize that they can do it, you know, mm-hmm. like they, they're just so used to the slower pace and they don't realize it. And then they fight it the first week. And then they're like, okay, this is just my life now. You know, you get pretty quick to it. You get, you get pretty quickly um, understanding. So within the first week, you typically know if you can handle it or not. And it's, it's actually pretty rare when people kind of drop um, even before, before or after it's usually like, you know, it might drop one, two people possibly. And the rest of the time it's like, well, I'm stuck here now. Like you're just continue on, (laughs) just keep going. Yeah, no, no, I I can see that that's, um, I did a certificate course through Coursera. Oh, nice. Um, when I was already working. So after a couple of weeks, it was just like, okay, this is what every weekend and every night's going to look like for me. I'm just going to be sitting on a computer. Yep. You just <laughs> get used work. to it. It becomes a yeah. habit and you're like, well, this is my life for the next couple of weeks. But the thing is, you know, if you don't, you haven't prepared for that, if, if you didn't take it seriously when someone was like, you're not going to have a social life and not have weekends, you know, it's really funny. I mean, not, I mean, funny in a kind of mean way, but I'll sit there and I'll hear people say, Oh, I'm gonna go see my friends this weekend, and I'm like, <laughs> uh, yeah, wait till tomorrow when you get your first assignment. <laughs> oh, jeez. And you know, I kind of tell them that too. I'm not like hiding it. I'm like, oh, secret surprise. I'm like, you probably want to cancel that. You know, yeah. just you want to focus on it. It's not me being like you're not allowed to have those things. It's more like you're not gonna get what you want out of this class when you don't 
put forth. And I think that's the thing about this class is you get out of it what you put into it. If right you on. put a lot of, into it, you learn a lot. If you yeah. put half into it, you get half. And it, it's fair that way. You know, you, you, get, you get out of it what you put into it. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true with most learning situations, even university. Like you get what you put into university. That's a cute cat. <laughs> Thanks. Um, you are, do you agree? Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, from your perspective, you know, going from practitioner to teacher, what are your kind of the biggest lessons learned so far for you personally? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> personally, the biggest lesson is feedback <laughs> is uh, a necessary evil, um, and uh, I definitely have adjusted the way that I give feedback as well. You know, when I was first giving feedback, I didn't realize I make faces and these faces mean nothing. <laughs> they mean nothing. They mean I'm yeah. thinking, but I apparently have a very scary thinking face. And so someone will give me an answer to something and I'll be thinking about it, but I'll go like this, but that's mm -hmm. me thinking. I'm not like, mm, I don't know about that. I'm more like, yeah. mm, is that accurate? But I look really angry or upset. Oh, and so you know, and of course, over, over time with the class, people start to read body language better and better because that's kind of what happens. And so they start picking on me more and more about it. Like, are you mad? Are you mad? Are you mad? Like, no, I'm not, I'm not upset <laughs> right now. Like just thinking. And not failing. Um, I can't tell people they failed outright. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't do that. Cause that's just not fair. Right. I, yeah. I look for solutions where we can, we can improve for next time. I do see a lot of people kind of say negative things about the boot camps. Yes. Um, from my experience, like I don't like thinking about my own children or for somebody I know, if I was going to tell them and they wanted to get into UX design, I can't think of a better route for somebody to go than a boot camp. Um, because it, you can, in a very short amount of time, completely switch careers. If you know, you're good enough to put together a portfolio, land a role, um, it can completely transform your life. Um, I've seen it transform a lot of people's lives that I know personally. So what do you say to somebody who you know, is really like kind of negative towards the boot camps? I think, I think it comes from you know, a place of not quite understanding what gets taught there. Um, mm -hmm. and realizing that someone who came from a boot camp who maybe you didn't think understood the concepts of UX as well, just because they came from the same boot camp as someone else doesn't mean that person doesn't understand. Because here's the thing, you get out of it what you put into it. That's, mm -hmm. that's the thing about boot camps is it, it just, that, that's just how it works, right? You're going to have people of all kinds, like everyone who graduated university, it's like expecting them all to be amazing and know exactly what they're doing. I'm sorry, that doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Not everyone's going to come out as the same, with the same set of skills and same knowledge. Sometimes people, when they graduate, they're all right, but they'll take a few more months to really grasp it. And that's okay, right? But in the meantime of them taking some time to really grasp it, maybe they're taking, doing interviews with people and not really knowing what to say and they're nervous. And then we have people on the other side, instead of them empathizing with the situation with this person, just judging. And I feel mm -hmm. like that's kind of what ends up, um, you know, happening in this is there's just a lot of judgment. Um, it's kind of snobby. I don't know. Like, I, I think that there is room um, in, in design uh, of all types 
for everybody. And I think we need to start understanding that the type, when we're talking about diversity in design, I'm not just talking about the skin color. Like I'm not just talking about, I'm talking about diversity in thinking, diversity in thought, diversity in the way we understand things, the diversity of education, the diversity of humor, right? Some things are funny to some people and sometimes they're really offensive to others. If you don't have those people on the team, you're not going to know. So you, I think just understanding that you have to see the value of the person and that person's insight because mm-hmm. that's, what the, that's what you're paying for. You're paying for someone to sit there and you know, say off the interview that you've come up with. You want them to find answers for you and they will have their own way of finding those answers. And that's, you're going to really need to trust that they have your best interests in mind when they're looking for these answers um, and not just assume that they can't do it based off of their background or their education or the way they answered the certain, you know, design challenge that you gave them that took them two weeks to complete, even though you said it should only take three hours. Like, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, that's really trashy. Like (laughs) you're getting free work from people. That drives me crazy. It's not, you're not hiring people for their past work when it comes to this stuff. Like if I was going to go to a surgeon, I would want to go to a surgeon that's done one thing over and over again. Totally understand. In design, it's not necessary. It's not necessary. It's about the way that they think and how they approach a problem and how they approach a solution. And maybe you run into someone who doesn't do it the way you do it, but maybe you need the way they do it to balance out the way you do it. You need that diversity. Yeah. Okay. And actually, you bring up an interesting point with the uh, those design challenges. Do you have students kind of get those challenges when they're going for roles now? Oh, yeah. They get yeah. them. They get them. And, you know, I'll help them with them sometimes because, you know, a lot of the times they, they're, they're written horribly. Now, if you yeah. are someone who makes these design challenges, please send them to me first. And I'll look at them and I'll let you know if they're helpful or not. Because some of them I get, and I'm like, what were you even thinking writing this? It doesn't even make sense. Of course, they're going to sit there and you're like, oh, it's just a matter of interpretation. It's like, no, it's not. You're just trying to trick people into coming up with what you want them to come up with instead of just being transparent about what you want. Mm -hmm. That's not fair. People are not mind readers. They are trying to do what you want them to do. And I hear this all the time with students are going, I did exactly what they wanted. And they didn't think that I was like unique enough. And it was like, Okay, but if they wanted unique, they should have asked for unique. If they wanted something specific, they should have asked for that and not just given you something basic because now you're making assumptions on like, what kind of person are they? What do they want to see? What are they interested in? You're making so many assumptions with no data. That's, it's not accurate. It's not an accurate yeah. assessment of someone's user experience design skills, especially when they don't have the research. Yeah. <laughs> they have no data. What are you expecting? Yep. Yep. No, totally agree. Totally agree. Miracles. I'm. <laughs> yeah. I'm all for like the on-site in-person kind of like whiteboard challenge. Like oh, yeah. to me, Those that's fine. But like the take-home kind of design challenge. Like are... I yeah, I've been a part of enough corporations to see it happen where somebody goes through the whole process of doing the design challenge and then internally the role changes. And so mm-hmm. to no fault of the interview um person's um no fault of their own, like like they're just the wrong person for the job now. And so all right. that time they spent is just a complete waste of time. Exactly. So, yeah. I'm highly against those, but the best one I, the best one I had was just talking. We didn't do anything. We just talked 
they would give me uh, a concept and they would say, how would you approach it? And then I would say, well, this is what I do. These are the first things I would do. That's it. Okay. Like that would be what I would do in this particular situation. Give me another one. It'll probably be different because you're yeah. not, you're not a robot. All right. You're someone who takes what you have, right? What's the data? Do I have enough data? If I don't have enough data, then I have, then my, my next step is to get more data. I have all the data I need. The next step is to synthesize that data, right? Like mm-hmm. there's different processes for the amount of data that you have or do not have, or the situation, like if there's an already existing um, application or if there's not, or if we have a user base or not, there's so many different scenarios. It's just a matter of, you know, you know, the situation. <laughs> so that's why a lot of the times those design challenges, they just don't make any sense for anyone who's in user experience design. Like I would say maybe graphic design, sure, why not? But look at their dribble, right? Like yeah. maybe ask them how they work with people, ask them how they communicate with people, ask them how they send files, you know, that's fine. But it's, mm-hmm. I feel like they're just more ways of, um, I don't know, discriminating. I feel like they're, I feel like they're, to me, it's just another avenue for discrimination. And I just, it just makes me uncomfortable. I don't think it's okay. necessary. I don't think the payoff is, is there. Right on. Okay. And so as a teacher, where do you go to learn more? Um, books, yeah. <laughs> books, books, books. I know people are not big readers. I watch, I watch YouTube videos a lot too, but, um, I listen to some podcasts Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not typically UX ones actually. Um, so I listened to one called uh, Hidden Brain, um, okay. which is psychology, right? I nice. actually really like to learn about people and why they do certain things. Um, and so that to me is very interesting and kind of gives me little little nuggets of information for when I'm actually doing my work. Um, or I'll listen to like audiobooks, like mm-hmm. like I said, like Ruin by Design, I listen to that. Um, this other very ancient, um, oh, yeah, that's a good one information architecture, uh, yeah. book. It's a big boy over here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I, I learn typically as, as I go on, as I'm, as I'm seeing different things of interest. So recently I've been really interested in game design. Um, and so I've been listening to some cool audiobooks on game design, which, you know, they, they're fun. They're really interesting. So there's this one I've been listening to called, let me see if I can find it. That's okay. Why are you looking uh, for reality that? Reality is I, broken. It's called reality, reality is, is broken. broken. And basically okay. it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of, I think UX actually started in game design. I know this is a weird conspiracy theory. I feel mm-hmm. like digital user experience design does like started with game design because you don't typically want to sit there, read a bunch of rules before you play a video game. You just have to know how to play it. Yeah. You need all this feedback, but digital feedback, right? So I feel like we come from like, most of our, our, our stuff, it comes from games. And so I just feel like the more I learn about game design, the more I can learn more about interaction design on non-game things or how to gamify things that'll help people learn. Because yep. there's statistics that show that like games help people learn faster than just not like learning things not in a gamified way. And this this um, talks about that a lot too. It talks about the neuroscience behind it um, and the way that we think and learn the way we think and learn, mm-hmm. um, which is all basics and foundations of user experience design. So that's the type of stuff that I I, I see that there's a lot of people who be like, oh, I bought this design book and that design book. And I'm like, that's great. If you're absolutely new to it, 
do it. You know, look at all the things, but you, what you really need to do to be a really good designer is to look at everything, not just one specific area of like just design. You need to flood your head with data from all over the place. And that's the best way to learn. That's the best way to really have a diverse set of um, things to lean into once you start a new project. Um, go, oh, I read about that. Or, oh, I learned about that. Or I can lean on this. Or, I can do that. You, can, you have so much more to base it off if you have interests outside of design. That's yeah. what I would, I would advise to people to, if they want to learn more, if they're, if they're new, or even if they're not, just look at something that's outside of design and try to associate those things from that learning to design and see if you can approach design in a different way that could be, be, maybe help you solve problems in the future. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. And yeah, no, the, some of the people that design games are absolute geniuses. Like just yeah. watching my, watching my five-year-old just not even needing to know like what to do. He just picks up the controller, starts a game and everything is built in a way where he can just kind of navigate that world without mm-hmm. like kind of any instruction whatsoever. It's, it's pretty amazing. But um, I love that. Yes, What's imagine your favorite? having a job and all of a sudden you don't have to get trained for the program yeah. because you're just like, oh, this is what I got to do. Like, how amazing yeah. would that be? You wouldn't have to worry about it. Yep. Yep. And you get kind of rewarded, you know, the better you get at it and the further you go. And mm-hmm. <laughs> love it. Love it. What's your, uh, what, um, what app do you use for audiobooks? Just out of curiosity. Um, I use Audible. I've been, okay. I've been with them for so long. I have long lists of <laughs> books on there, but nice. you know, I used to just go through Kindle and then, um, then, you know, commuting back and forth. I was like, oh, I have time to listen to podcasts and listen yep. to audiobooks. And now I'm stuck at home. So I just listen to them anyway, I guess. <laughs> like I'll listen <laughs> nice. to them while I'm like going for a run or working out yep. or just walking around doing like shopping. I'll listen to them. And sometimes I'll, you know, perfect, very purposely sit there and listen to it and take notes. Right. Yep. Um, just to say, okay, well, you know, these are some important points. Let me take this down. Let me, you know, let me tweet about this. So let me like write about this or like remember this portion because this is really cool and interesting or I'll talk to somebody about it to help me remember it. Um, so I'll, you know, I'll usually listen through there um, yeah. and just kind of then talk to people about it afterwards so that I don't forget it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay. I love that. Um, and I just want to plug one of my favorite apps and let you know is uh, Hoopla. Hoopla. So, okay. Yeah. If you have a library card, all you need is a library ah. card. And I think you get like four downloads a month. Damn, I gotta, absolutely I gotta love that. it. And they don't have every new book, but right. they have quite a bit. Like whatever is available at your local library. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I'm, not really, yeah. I'm not really the type of person to be like, oh, there's a new book out there. I kind of just like, there's so many books out there. I don't need to wait um, for a new one. There's always yeah. so many books there. It's like, I'll find one that I have probably needed to read for a long time. And yeah, yeah. that's a great idea. I'm going to definitely check that out. Thank you for letting me know. Yeah, no problem. It's one of my favorite ones. So I just wanted to share that. So um, tell us what's on the horizon for you. Um, so, you know, after taking my break from teaching, um, I've loved teaching. It's been the most humbling and most rewarding experience that I've ever dealt with. Um, and I love seeing my students um, thrive. I love seeing the notifications on LinkedIn that so-and-so's got a job. I love getting little messages. I'll get messages from previous students from years ago or whatever, and they'll say, oh my God, I just got hired for this thing, or I, I just you know, got up, or they'll ask me questions like, how do you deal with this in the workplace, or how do you deal with that? And I just, it makes me so happy to, you know, to help, um, but I also put a lot of myself into teaching, and so I would like to 
remove that burden from myself for a bit. Um, and so I am going to be starting somewhere uh, in the next month. I'm not going to say where yet because it's not quite uh, fixed, but you will see. Uh, you'll all see <laughs> where, where I'm headed to. Um, and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, people still feel comfortable like reaching out and asking me about GA because I don't mind. I still, you know, talk to the people who work there. Mm -hmm. um, I still love them as company um i think they're an excellent company there's definitely any company out there right now you're gonna have you're gonna have issues with any company that you work for right like with this one i feel like really helped me um and not only helped me become a ux designer years and years ago but mm -hmm. it also helped me become a teacher and helped me it gave me the space to adjust the course as i needed to or wanted to uh, it gave me the freedom to run the class as i felt needed it needed to be run mm -hmm. um and it gave me the freedom to be out as a non-binary person without the feeling of being judged um and i think that's like a huge thing um just in general so it's a great company it's a great place to work um and i definitely would recommend it to people um in certain circumstances and you know i'm happy to answer any questions people have if they want to reach out to me afterwards Oh, that's fantastic. And speaking of which, where can people go to reach out to you? Sure. So uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn uh, at Shallon Oswald. It's S-H-A-L-Y-N-O-S-W-A-L-D. Um, and that's the same as my Twitter. Um, I don't have much else going on, honestly. <laughs> um, but I mean, if you're really interested, you can play some video games on Steam, but I'll give you my, my nice. stuff on there on LinkedIn. You can just reach <laughs> out to me on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, that's where you can reach out to me, say hello, tell me about like where you met me or what, if you were listening to the podcast, I want to know that too. And I'll send it over. Uh, and yeah, just talk to me. I'm happy to talk to anybody. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And con congratulations on whatever that next role is. That's thank really you. exciting. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Shallon, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I really appreciate you sharing everything and sharing your story. Um, it's wonderful. Really nice to talk to you. Thank you so much. Um, and I did want to say one more thing. I uh, just Absolutely. wanted to uh, remind everybody to design responsibly and design with accessibility um, and diversity and equity in mind, please. Thank you. <laughs> Great parting thoughts. I love it. Perfect. Thank you, Shellen. Thank you. And that is the show, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Again, there's only three more episodes coming this season. Going to take a short break, and then I will be back with season two. Really looking forward to it. And to find anything mentioned on this show and all the other show notes for user flows, you can always find them at thomasmorell.com. That's T-H-O-M-A-S-M-O-R-R-E-L-L.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time. <laughs>